this evening with something that may function sort of like an afterword. If you've maybe you've read books before that had a foreword and then uh, just kind of an afterword section to finish up and summarize some of the things that you have uh, learned. It feels a little bit disconnected from everything that we have uh, studied before, but. Uh, uh, there's an importance to reflecting on the man Mordecai and the very last three verses that we have here. So let's read then um, ex, uh, Esther chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord Most High, thank you for this word. Thank you for the man Mordecai. Thank you for the way that you dealt with him. Thank you for uh, the demonstration of your grace that we find in his life. We ask now that you would cause it to become living and vibrant in the lives that are alive on earth right now. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, I recently read a news article about a couple uh, into whose bank account the bank made a mistaken deposit. It was a large sum of money. And uh, the couple, I guess, woke up one day and they found that this money had been deposited into their account. They didn't even question it, didn't call the bank, didn't do anything. They went right out and spent all of the money. Well... After they did this, they were subsequently arrested for, for taking the money and for spending uh, this money that had been mistakenly given to them. And we think about this, and, and one of the things that comes to mind is that mit- mistakes can sometimes be very, very costly. You think about the accountant who is sitting uh, in his chair in his office and balancing books and going through, as we're thinking about right now, personal income tax returns or corporate income tax returns. And folks, you know that one zero can make all the difference in the world. I am certain that there are way too many zeros in the build back better bill. Surely trillions of dollars is not what's being asked of us. But big mistakes often has a, have a big cost. Some of you know this. You, you, you have worked long enough or you've had children long enough. You've had families long enough, responsibilities long enough that you know little Mistakes can have a big cost. Waking up too late, being fired from your job for uh, that, that one tardy too many. Big mistakes can be very costly. One of the things that we remember as well as we think about this is that sin is also costly. Unrepentant sin severs Our relationship with God, what an enormous cost that Adam suffered and we as his children. He cannot even look upon us 
because of sin. What an enormous cost. Sin can also cost us in terms of human relationships, can't it? How many relationships are broken when you sin against others? It, it harms your relationship. It damages trust. And sometimes it hardens people against you. As we think about these things and the enormous cost that comes with sin, one of the things that is held out to us is a ray of hope that God holds out to His people. God holds this hope out to you, that there is the promise of restoration. He can restore your relationship to Himself and He can restore your relationship to other people. This is totally in the power of God. And so as we think about this last part, this this addendum, as it were, this tag on to the end, what what is all of this doing here? Why, Why do we need to know that the king taxed the land and that here's Mordecai and some sort of uh, uh, power and authority. Well, many different things could be given, but, but I think one of the things that we see here very simply is that God offers restoration to those who repent. A very simple and yet powerful and hopeful truth that you and I have to reflect on every day. There's a wonderful phrase in our confession of faith, and it says this, I'm going to turn it around a little bit. It says that there is no sin so small that it does not deserve God's wrath and curse. There's no sin so small that it does not deserve God's wrath and curse. But here's the other side of that. The confession also says in the same sentence, it says, so also there is no sin so great that God by his mercy cannot forgive it. That is a powerful truth. That's a a truth that many uh, have abandoned. It's a promise that many have abandoned. I uh, was reading, I I was reading the other day, someone had posted on Facebook, and he talked about how his prior life had been consumed by alcohol. He, He had been an alcoholic for a large part of his life and now wondered if there was any hope of restoration uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Can, can God restore the things that had been broken uh, because of his past sins? What would you say to him? Imagine if you are a, um, a, a pro-life advocate working in an abortion or a, um, a, preg- a crisis pregnancy center. What do you say to those young women who come in there looking for hope? Uh, maybe a woman who has had an abortion. What do you say to them? Is there hope? Can God restore you? Will he restore you, perhaps, is the first question that we ought to ask. Am I beyond God's reach? One of the hopeful things that we find in the end of of the book of Esther is that God has restored Mordecai. Notice, first of all, that God graciously accepted Mordecai. You remember Mordecai's introduction? How do we get to this whole point? How do you, there's no mention at all here of repentance. 
right? There's nothing here about Mordecai feeling any sort of sorrow over his sin. How do we get that this has anything to do with a restoration because of repentance? Well, go back to me. Let's, we'll take a minute here just to remember some of the, the high points, perhaps, of this series on Esther. Go back with me to chapter 2 and verse 5. Now, there was a Jew in Susa the citadel whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So remember that as we go back to the beginning of Esther, this was, this was not a highlight in, in Mordecai's life. Here is a man who had been entrusted with a young woman. And what did he do with her? Well, rather than defend her, from uh, the, the trustees that Ahasuerus had sent out to gather all the virgins so that they could come in to him and he could give them a test run to figure out which one would be queen. Rather than defend her, as any father would do, Mordecai seemingly said, go, this is your opportunity, this is your chance. And so Mordecai in chapter 2 of Esther is presented to us as something of a bum. This is, this is not a good man. Um, yesterday, uh, President Obama said of um, Harry Reid that he was a deeply good man. Well, Mordecai definitely was not any Harry Reid. I'm saying that a bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, um, he, he, he was not a good man. He, he in a sense, took, took his, his own daughter and handed her over to a pagan king to become just another harlot in the harem. But let's remember as well, not just Mordecai's introduction, remember with me Mordecai's middle. Go with me to chapter 4 and verse 1 now. <clears throat> Mordecai was brought low. We remember when he rebelled against wicked King Haman. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth, and in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. And now turn with me to verse 16. These are the words of Esther. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. So here is, here is a pivotal moment in this whole drama 
This is the place in Esther chapter 4 that the whole drama shifts. It changes its direction. Why? Because God has brought Mordecai very low. He was not remembered by King Ahasuerus, despite the fact that he had spared Ahasuerus' life, saved Ahasuerus' life. Well, here he is, a man not robed in garments of royal linen, with a crown upon his head. Instead, he is clothed with sackcloth and ashes, exactly where God wanted him to be. Now we notice, going back to Esther chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, what is the result? We, we're reading between the lines a bit here. But we know from what is said that, uh, that Mordecai went out and he fasted before the Lord for three days and nights, probably spending that time in prayer and seeking the Lord's help and favor. And how did the Lord answer him? Well, he saved his life. And he saved the lives of all the Jews. He turned the heart of the king to be favorable toward him. He brought uh, Mordecai's enemy low. Haman ultimately was hanged on the gallows that Haman had erected to kill Mordecai. And not only that, but all of his sons as well were hung there for the whole city to see as an emblem that this is what happens when you bring a charge against the people of God. But notice verse 2 of chapter 10. And all the acts of Ahasuerus' power and might and the full account of the, here it is, the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus. Do you see what God did do you see the, 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 the power of the grace of God toward his people? When you turn to him in faith and repentance, what did he do for Mordecai? He didn't just bring him back level, but God, uh, God uh, um, accepted Mordecai, and he demonstrated his acceptance of Mordecai by giving him even more than he had at the very beginning. He brought him to a position of high honor and advanced him to second in rank to King Ahasuerus. One of the things that you ought to reflect on here as you think about what God has done in his providence for Mordecai is that when you come to the Lord in repentance, sometimes God will restore things that were brought to ruin in your past. We have seen this more than one time. You think about the end of Job. Job restored to Job. Uh, God restored to Job many of the things. In fact, double what he had lost from the very beginning. God is often pleased to bring a restoration. Uh, not just of... Uh, uh, not just, uh, um, uh, of, of your position uh, before him giving you righteousness, but God many times will be pleased to restore to you in this life the things that you lost because of your sin. Now, this is not something that you hold out as a promise. God is not promising to do this, but one of the hopeful things that you have is that he has the power to do it, and he has done it before. We have seen it over 
and over again. God graciously accepted Mordecai. And in bringing him to this position of power, one of the things that he demonstrates to you is that he will accept you also in Christ. But let's notice also that God not only accepted Mordecai, he restored Mordecai to his people. Hey, think about this for just a second. Imagine if, if you were in the position of the Jews, the, the, uh, Mordecai's countrymen. If they took just a moment uh, to find out exactly why the edict had been written to destroy them. If they understood for a moment that this edict came about because Mordecai, in a moment of jealous rage, perhaps, said, I'm not bowing to Haman. I should be in his place. If they understood that they were in that precarious position because of Mordecai's moment of fury, how might they have felt toward him? Distrust, a hatred, animosity, a desire to get back at him. Mordecai had been a self-seeking, self-interested man. And because he poured out his energy pursuing his own honor, his own glory, he had brought condemnation on the whole people. And when God brought Mordecai to repentance and restored him to himself, he also restored the relationships that had been damaged by Mordecai's sin. Do you see that? Notice what we read in verse 3 of chapter 10. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews. Powerful? He became among the Jews. And not only that, but popular with the multitude of his brothers. God restored um, Mordecai's relationship with his own people. Now think about this for just a second. How can we attribute this work of God to God himself? Remember, if we go back just a little way, going back um, to chapter 8. Read with me at the end of chapter 8, verse 15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command had and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and notice this, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. One of the ways that God demonstrates his power in this situation is that he caused a fear of the Jews to fall among the people. And, and when we looked at that before, we thought about uh, the situation with Joshua and Rahab and how Rahab said, we all have heard about God's work and now everybody is afraid of what the Jews are going to do. And God caused his fear to fall upon the people. Well, when it came to the Jews themselves and their relationship to Mordecai, God inclined their hearts to this repentant man and he restored Mordecai's relationship with his own people. 
He was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. And one of the things that you ought to reflect on here as well is that when, when you are repentant, God can restore relationships that have been broken by sin. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 17. I want you to see this uh, played out in, in a place where Jesus teaches explicitly on it. Luke chapter 17. This, these few verses in Luke chapter 17 are uh, powerful in many different ways, stirring in many different ways, um, dreadful in some ways. Read with me Luke chapter 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now notice these words. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord in verse 5, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Do you see what's going on here? The whole context of this idea of great faith. The disciples are saying, we don't want to do this. <laughs> our brother sins against us seven times in the same way in the same day and you're telling us to receive him if he repents? No way, man. And so they pray exactly as they ought to pray. Lord, increase our faith. We ought to have this hope too and extend this hope to others. That when you come and you sincerely repent of your sin, God can restore relationships that have been broken in the past. He can build new bridges. You know, one of the fascinating things about the heart is that when you develop a blockage in your heart, God has enabled your body to build pathways around that blockage. It's one of the things that we found uh, with Gene. He's got a calcium blockage there, but the Lord, uh, but, but the heart has developed pathways uh, uh, around that blockage to deliver the, the blood to the heart and then away and through the lungs and etc. You ought to know that God can do this in your relationships as well. When you are repentant, God can restore relationships. He did it for Mordecai. He can do it for you. You Think about the end. You're going to come very soon to the end of the story of Joseph and his brothers. Imagine the, the enormous weight that Joseph himself felt after his father died and his brothers came to him and they, they themselves felt a weight. They said, now Joseph is free to kill us if he wants to do it. Instead, Joseph exercised the very mercy that Christ would speak about in Luke chapter 17. Repentant sinners learn how to receive and embrace other repentant sinners. Let's think about one thing finally here, a third point. Through Mordecai, God declared the future for his people. 
through Mordecai, God declared the future for his people. I want you just to, to step back with me for a moment here, and let's remember that in the Hebrew Bible, Esther doesn't come before Job and then before the Psalms. Esther comes before Daniel toward the end of the canon. It is a, in some sense, a post-captivity reflection for the people. It is is the point in the Hebrew canon where things begin to look ahead to the future. Daniel is looking ahead to the future. The Psalms are looking in the end ahead to the future. And as we get to the end of Esther, going back to chapter 10, we are looking ahead to the future. In some sense, God is giving His people another reason to hope. There are, in this final part, many parallels to consider. One of them, first, is that Mordecai is presented in the garments of a royal priest. Go back with me to chapter 8, verse 15. We read this just a moment ago. Mordecai was a royal priest. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. A Jew of this time would not have missed this description. The colors of the garment itself are reflected, are reflective of the garments of the priest of Israel. But this was not just a priest who was robed in these garments. He is a priest who wears a crown upon his head, who fills not one office, but two offices. A second, notice that the narrator, as we go back to chapter 10 and verse 2, the narrator uses the language of the kings of Israel and of Judah to describe the record of Mordecai's advancement. Just a, a simple phrase here. And all the acts of his power, that's Ahasuerus, and his might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him. Notice this phrase. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia? A, a simple phrase, but it's one that we find repeated throughout the book of Kings. Every king that dies, we find that his further acts are recorded in another book, in the Chronicles of the Kings. And so the the author, the narrator of this story is telling us, he's giving us this little clue about the kingship of Mordecai. Let me give you one last one, and you picked up on this as we read it. Like Joseph, Mordecai was advanced to second in command. He was, in a sense, a Hasuerus prime minister. Why all of this language? Why these parallels? Well, all of this accomplished by the providence of God, despite attempts to destroy his people in in all of this. Think of this. God, any Jew in this period of time, reading this story, reading this account, picking up on these clues, will see reminders by God that he had not forsaken his people. If God did not forsake Mordecai, neither would he forsake any of the rest of his people. Although he had disciplined them for sin, God reminds his people and he reminds you 
that he will always receive the one who comes to him for pardon. Isn't this the message of Joel chapter 2, verse 12? Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me. But it also points us forward to the coming of a future king. In many ways, Mordecai in his final glory is a picture of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah Notice what he does, the very last phrase here in uh, Esther chapter 10, verse 3. For he sought the welfare of his people, and what did he do? He spoke peace to his people. Isn't this exactly what Christ, the royal priest, does to the people of God? He seeks the welfare of his people. It's the the Hebrew word for good. When God uh, looked upon the earth, he declared it good. He is seeking your good. Christ seeks your good. As the high priest sent from God, his work is to seek your good. And not only that, but he speaks peace to you by his Holy Spirit. Over and over again as you return to Him in faith and repentance, as you come confessing your sins, what is He doing? Enacted in this very service of worship, He speaks peace to you. It's the reason that Paul could begin all of his epistles in this way. Grace to you and peace from God the Father through Christ. As we round out the book of Esther, we are left on a hopeful note. And it is this note. A note that you should take to heart tonight. That every time you return to the Lord in faith and repentance, every time you come to Him, He promises through Christ to receive you and to do so with the power to restore you to Himself and even the relationships that have been broken in the past. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the blessed hope that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the picture that we have of him in Mordecai. Lord, we find your abundant grace is displayed for us. And we thank you. Lord, we need it. We are a sinful and a broken people. We have, uh, because of our sins, we, we, we have found that they are very, very costly indeed. Lord, we ask that you would restore us. There are, there are perhaps brothers and sisters in this room tonight who, who have broken relationships, broken friendships that they'd like to go back and restore. I ask that you would give them the power to do that. Lord, that if they have broken those relationships because of sin, I ask that you would give courage to go in in repentance to seek the restoration of broken relationships and honor you in that way. But most of all, Father, we ask that you would speak peace to each and every one of us through Christ Jesus. Assure us of our standing before you by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.